Hey, good morning. Well, Jen and I are trading places today, and I'm pumped about this. It's so I'm pumped for many reasons. One of them was that yesterday afternoon, my kids were going to the, Kate and Killer were going to the Mariners game, and they were double dating, and their date canceled on them. And they're like, Dad, do you want to go to the Mariners game tonight? I'm like, heck yeah, I do. So I grabbed Daniel Allen, and we went to the game last night, and it was epic. And I was like, I don't care if I, what time I go to bed. I'm not speaking tomorrow. But the game, here's Safeco. I'm like, all right, keep working, babe. She's working, working on the message, so. Anyway, I got a couple of quick announcements for you. The first one is bowling night. Are you kidding me, high school kids? Yeah. We got some good bowlers in here, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're not good. It's going to be fun. So we've got all the details there, uh, May 1st, uh, 7 to 9 p.m. at Bolero. So good. Okay. All right. Next slide. Not to be outdone, because we got middle school students as well, right, Nathan? Yes, we do. Jump night. Nathan, are you guys going to jump? Are you going to, like, get after it? It's going to be so good, you guys. So if you're a middle school student, yeah, you definitely want to go to that and bring somebody with you Thursday, May 4th, 7 to 8.30 at Flying Squirrel Trampoline Park. My favorite place in the world. So, And then final thing is we have communication cards both online and on your chair. And would encourage you to fill those out if there's anything that applies to you. We'll, we'll pray for prayer requests uh, if you want to sign up for something if you need more information. But other than that... Um, Jen, I'm so excited for this. Let me, let me just pray. God, would you, would you speak to us this morning? Um, we're all coming in here with different experiences and different backgrounds, and yet I, I believe that this is something that you want all of us to hear in our own, in our own way, in our own uh, place and time. And so, God, would you, would you speak through her in a way um, that meets all of us and that we're not just encountering information, but we're encountering you in, and your heart in all of this. In Jesus' name. need some tissues? I know. I don't, just because I knew that I couldn't focus on that. I love that. But uh, we are going to talk about the reality that we have kids. Many of us do, and we're part of a village that raises kids as well. And I am super excited that I get to talk to you today about something that I'm really passionate about. Um, In fact, sometimes I get so excited about this topic that when it comes up, So many ideas and thoughts come to my mind that I can just like word vomit all over someone. So I really want to warn you, be very careful when you ask me questions or want my ideas about the topic for this morning, which is kids and families. 
In addition to this being something that I'm personally really passionate about, you might also know that this is one of the arenas at Brookview that I get to oversee. So all of our birth to 18-year-old programming, as well as parenting and family stuff, I get to oversee. And about a month ago, most of you know that we had a big change happen here at Brookview within our staff, and specifically in this arena that I oversee of kids and families ministry. Um, Many of you know that at the end of March, Trevor Gray, who had been on staff at Brookview since the fall of 2020, decided to pursue a job in the area of his college degree, which is teaching. And we are so excited for him, and we stand with him in that decision. And as we made that announcement and gathered with people that he was working directly with, one of the first questions that people have had is, are we going to hire somebody else? And the answer to that, sadly, is no. And there's a lengthy, nuanced answer there to that question, but the quick version is, Brookview just isn't in a financial position to go out and hire another person right now. And that's a bummer, but it is what it is, and I am confident that we will figure this out because we've done it before, we've been here before. And one of the ways that we'll need to figure this out is to come together and be really intentional together, just like you guys have always been so good at to fill in some of the gaps that not having someone to oversee some of those areas that Trevor did has left around here. And so Jason and I thought that it would be good timing for me to share a little bit. um, uh, I don't know, my screen just scrolled really far, so (laughs) give me a moment. You gotta be real careful with the finger when you're This is not my wheelhouse, you know, here we go. You guys, one time, I think I've told you this before, I forgot to turn off my airdrop when I was giving a talk to 300 high school students, and they airdropped me during my talk all of these pictures. Like, I I got arm butts, and I mean, just like (laughs) popping up over top of it, and I was like, I don't even know how to undo it. I was so nervous. I started sweating, and just, and finally I was like, time out. You guys, I don't know how to turn this thing off, but can you please stop? I'm begging you, stop. It's really funny, but it was funny one time, not 30. All right, so here I am. Um, Jason and I, back into what I'm talking about today, thought it would be really good timing for me to share a little bit about our family ministries and kind of get a bird's eye view, the big um, panned out view around some of the ideas that are behind what we do and why we do it when it comes to kids and families here at Brookview. And then I also want to let you know how you can step into that or participate in that if you feel led in any way. Because the really beautiful reality is our church is a family. And when kids show up around here, every single one of us has a role to play because we're family. So let's talk about the way that we frame our family ministry and strategies here at Brookview. You ready? Good, because we're doing it whether you're ready or not. Uh, The frame that we use for our family ministry and kids program is a concept called Think Orange. Think Orange is a popular movement among churches, and I think for a really good reason. It just makes a lot of sense. This guy named Reggie Joyner developed this concept about 20 years ago, and it's this. There's the church, and it represents light, so it has this color yellow. And in the church, week in and week out, our role is to put this light or this spotlight on Jesus. And then there's the home. And that represents the place where there are great great amounts of grace and love lived out. It's the heart kind of stuff. And so it has the color red. And when you combine the two, when both are working together, you get orange. And that's the sweet spot. When church and home are working together, there will be greater impact. And that's what we want. But the reality is that the amount of time that kids spend in church and the time that they spend at home, they aren't very even. So I want to show you an illustration. Um, If the families that call Brookview their church home um, were to show up every single Sunday this year and bring their kids to our one-and-a-half-hour program, 
they would be in church for 78 hours in a given year. But we know that that's actually not what happens, right? If you account for holidays and vacations and sports and other activities that kind of collide with Sunday mornings, current statistics say that for a family that would wholeheartedly say and mean it and be living it out in their lives, they would say God is really important to us. They would be at church about every other week, which would amount to about 39 hours total or 26 Sundays of being at church. I have toys. <laughs> I mean, if it's going to be like a kid theme, you know. So that's the church. And I've got hair issues. <coughs> you see it? Yeah? Okay. All right. Parents, caregivers, on the other hand, will see their kids at home for 3,000 hours. And that accounts for the time that they're away from you and in school and sleeping. So you'll have an average of 3,000 hours each year. If you boil that down into days, parents and caregivers will have about 350 days in a year. If they go to grandma's house and summer camp and sleepovers for 15 of those days in the year. I'm still going. Look at all this influence that we have in homes. I did count all of them out. You can audit me later. <laughs> there it is. This is what the home has in the life of a child. Here's what the church has. Stark contrast there. So no one has the amount of influence that a parent or a caregiver does. And a major factor there is time. No one has more potential to influence a kid or a teenager than the home. But as true as that is, this is also true. Every kid needs influence from someone other than their parent. As influential as a primary caregiver is, we also know that they can't be the only influence. Kids and teenagers need to hear from someone outside of their family who reinforces core truths about life, about themselves, and also about faith. And that's why, if, as a church, we want to influence a kid's future, the very best thing that we can do is leverage all that we have to, that we have, and to work together as the church, where we illuminate and put the spotlight on Jesus and we provide resources and the home, red, the place where love and grace are lived out and where what we started on Sundays is brought full circle and practiced and modeled. So we have to think orange. I want you to help me complete this sentence. It takes a village to raise a child. That's a concept that we've all heard before. This morning I want to take a look at Deuteronomy 6 because I think this is a passage and it's a good one when we're thinking about kids and parenting and this idea of a village raising a child. And here's a little background to the passage. Imagine this, okay? You are Israelites. You're the Israelite people. You are with Moses, your fearless leader, at the base of Mount Sinai. You are former oppressed slaves and you have been wandering, wandering around aimlessly in the desert for years with this hope of a different future. And there it is. It's just like right out there. And now we're about to enter into the promised land, this really beautiful place where life will be so much better than what it has been. But this new place that we're all headed to, it's foreign to us. It's like nothing that we experienced back in Egypt or in those desert years. And Moses, the trusted leader, all of this time for you, he's actually not going to be with you in this next season. So he gives a bunch of parting thoughts to the people that he's loved and served and lived alongside of for a really long time. And the book of Deuteronomy is Moses' parting thoughts to the Israelites before they enter the promised land. They're kind of his deathbed kind of instructions. Like, what I really want you to know is this. And Moses is like, I'm going to give you like 600 some odd laws to help you manage life. 
Like not to stifle you, not to oppress you, but help direct you for how to live your best life. And in the midst of those 600 some odd laws that Moans gives to the people, including the Ten Commandments, he says, all right, <clears throat> let's talk about kids. Let's talk about kids. And the noteworthy thing here is that he's not saying, all right, everybody else, I was talking to you. If you're not a parent, if you're single, if your kids aren't around anymore, if you're a grandparent, or you just haven't had kids let, let yet, just plug your ears because this is just for the parents. So la, 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 while I tell you this next thing. No, not at all. That's not what he says. He says this in the context of everyone gathered together and hearing it. And he says, these are the commands and decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live, by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that may, it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you didn't dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Moses gives those instructions for all of the people gathered. And he tells the entire community that this whole loving God, where everything that we have, remembering God's goodness and grace, make it such a part of your life that it's central and it's important. Talk about it when you're at home, when you walk along the road, when you head to bed, when you get up in the morning. Remember God and live out your faith everywhere you go so that it may go well with you. Not so that God will be mad at you, but so it will go well with you. And those aren't just words that we're supposed to pass on. Instead, they're a way of living. They're a way of living, and the entire community is charged with doing that in such a way that the kids see it, and they know what it looks like, and it passes on generation after generation after generation. And God's desire is for us to live out our faith wherever we go, at home, at church, in community together, and show our, our kids what living in God's grace looks like, lived out. And so we're going to focus on that today. How do we do this well at home and at church? You might have noticed some flyers on your seat today, um, and it's this image, and they're small. I know that. Um, but what I want to do is talk about four of the major phases that the Think Orange group, who has taken church leaders and teachers and child psychologists and said, how can we boil this research that we know about kids and how their development works and how their faith is influenced, how can we boil that down to truths that we can be aware of and be really intentional about so that we can influence their faith? And they came up with this timeline. And if you look at it, like I mentioned, the font's pretty small, but if you go to brookviewchurch.com and for forward slash families, and for those of you that are watching at home today, you can do that. You can head to the website and you just scroll down to the bottom of the page and that graphic is there and it'll be there for you in the future. I don't expect you to put this in your, you know, phone case or something and pull it out every season of your life. But there are um, four distinct phases that we're going to hit today that whether you're a parent and you need to amp up your intensity in that current phase that your kids are in, 
or if you're looking, or you're someone who's looking to invest in kids here at church, or even outside of Brickview, maybe in coaching, in your grandparenting roles as aunts, as uncles, this is essentially a way to try and be unified and on the same page with what we're doing here when it comes to kids. Our unified goal here at Brickview is to see every kid love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love their neighbors and trust Jesus for a better future. You guys, even in our kids' programs, we're about love lived, and we want to be very intentional about that. So this morning, let's hit on each one of these phases on that handout. The embrace, engage, affirm, and mobilize, and unpack them a bit and figure out in each of these phases, what are the opportunities as parents and what are our opportunities as a church to invest in our kids? All right, phase one. This is called the embrace phase. And this is for kids who are zero to five years old. It's that birth right before kindergarten phase. And it's in this phase that there are two primary goals, love and safety. Those are the primary goals, love and safety. And if you've experienced this phase, you know what it's like when that safety mechanism kicks in. It's when your kid or a child you're caring for is playing in the yard and then they start heading towards the street. What do we do? Let them go play in the street? No, we scoop them up and bring them back into a safe place. Perhaps you're like me where you've watched your kids on the playground in this phase and they're like at the top of the slide and about to go face first down and the, the distance from the end of that slide and the ground is really f too big of a drop off for their little bodies, but you're way too far away to stop it. So you're sort of like in this slow motion, no, and then you realize it's happening and you just sort of look away, close your eyes, and hope, wait for the scream. You know, that, that's the phase of your life. And we do our best. We embrace this role of trying our best to keep our kids safe. And we have car seats, and we have fences, and outlet covers, and, and baby monitors. And we just try to do everything that we know to do to protect them. But also a part of making them feel safe and secure is creating a predictable world for them and making sure that they can follow our instructions since they actually aren't wise enough to know what's best for them yet. They need a world where there's rhythm and routine and predictability and direction and authority, and I know that's kind of a buzzkill word, but as it turns out, it's an important role for us to play because it helps them feel grounded and safe. If every day is a different day filled with a brand new activity or adventure, if there are never any boundaries for a child or they don't learn how to respond with grace to the word no, child psychologists say they'll feel insecure, unsettled, and very anxious. And in a world where a toddler makes all of their own decisions, they actually aren't safe. Or learning that responding to someone's loving boundaries is actually the very best thing for them. The other primary goal of this phase is love. Many of us experience a new kind of love when our kids are born. It's that sacrificial, I'd do anything for this little human kind of love. And it's what compels us to respond to their cries of hunger and fear in the middle of the night. And we're sleep deprived. And it takes a lot of selflessness on our part to nurture these tiny humans. But our love compels us to do it. And so we have those moments, whether it's watching cartoons or cuddling on the couch or playing Legos on the bedroom floor or, or when they get out the tub and they're all cozy in those fuzzy little footed pajamas. Oh, so cute. And you just squeeze them extra because you just feel this overwhelming love. And they feel that. And they feel safe. And as parents in this stage of early childhood, our job is to embrace our kids with safety and love. Simple, right? <laughs> All right, so what can you do spiritually if you're in this phase? And how as a church are we partnering with parents who are in this phase? Um, and if you want to respond to anything this morning, since I'll be sharing a lot of things throughout the message, just write it down on your Connect card that's on your seat and drop it in the basket on the way out of church, and we'll get in touch with you today. So parents, in this phase, 
We want you to keep coming to church. We love having you here. I know it's hard to do. It's hard to get out the door and get here. Come. We love it when you're here. We want you as much as possible to be able to get into life groups so that you can get engage in community, so that you can intentionally grow in Christ alongside of other people. We want you to experience your personhood outside of your role as mom and dad because as it turns out, that's a very consuming thing in those early years. To step away from the isolation of parenting small children and, and just sit in someone else's living room with the yummy snacks that they provided for you and be filled up and be known and grow in your faith. So if that's at all possible for you, I encourage you to do that. I know that's tough, especially if you don't have access to child care for you. And it might mean that you have to go to group on different nights of the week um, from your spouse. Or you might need to seek out another intentional, informal way to routinely be connected in community with other Christ followers, but also to be growing in your faith. Because that is the important thing, to be able to live that out in front of them. But I really think <coughs> that being in a small group or a smaller community is such an important thing. And if you wait until your kids are old enough to be home alone, you will be in a very different season of parenting then. And I have a secret. It gets even more difficult to make it a priority, believe it or not. That someday actually probably isn't coming. Another thing that we want to invite anyone in this phase of parenting to do is to dedicate your kid. Dedicate them. This is where you stand up here on a Sunday morning and you make a pledge to your kid, that little tiny baby who doesn't really understand what's going on, but you make a pledge to them in front of your church family and you acknowledge that you have a role as the primary voice in your child's life. And then we as a church pledge to stand by you and to help you, and to lean into God and do our best to point you and your child to Jesus as long as you are here at Brookview. And then the last thing, this is just kind of a need for anyone who might feel compelled or able to do it. We need some people who might be willing to provide childcare at church on Sunday mornings about once every six weeks. Um, I hate that we don't have that right now. It's one of the things that we had before COVID, but COVID wiped it out, and we just haven't had traction getting that back going again. Um, when we suggested the idea of it back in the fall, we had three people respond, but I have someone who's willing to organize it. Um, but we would need probably about, I don't know, 10 people to make that work back there. And I'd love to offer that to our parents um, that are our birth to two years old so that they can come here and just kind of soak it in and be able to focus and not be distracted and worrying about caring for the needs of their child just for an hour and a half. And so we've tried to make spaces around here for parents to go during church, but it just isn't the same as being able to sit and listen without caring for a child. All right. So this component of safety and love, they don't go away in the next phase. There's just another predominant layer that gets added to that. It is the embrace phase, okay? You're kind of like, I just can't wait to get out of diapers and late nights, and you think it'll be so much easier in the next phase. And then you're like, wait, what happened? That last phase was so seemingly concrete. I just need to change diapers and make sure that they're fed and make sure that they don't die and I'm good. I'm like a successful parent. And then you get into the next phase called engage and it's the longest one. Um, and it requires you to amp up the intentionality that you bring as parents or as the additional voice in the life of a kid because they're becoming more independent and they can do so much more for themselves. So you have to create rhythms of intentional time and be really mindful about engaging them. In the period of life from K through fourth or fifth grade, kids want your attention. They want you to notice them. Mom, look at this trick I can do on my bike. Dad, watch this dance I came up with. Look at me, look, 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 look. There's a lot of look at me's. In this phase, is child, phase the child is starting to answer the question, do I belong? Do I have friends? 
they start shifting from having this superhero complex where they truly believe that they are the fastest runners and the best ballerinas and the best readers that this world has ever seen. And then developmentally, they start to be able to notice that other people might be better at something than I am. And they start asking the question, wait, do I have what it takes? Do people like me? What, what's special about me? And in the engage phase, kids are motivated by fun and they're connected to you through fun. It's why moms, sometimes we have to get down on our hands and knees and get dirty and play in the dirt and the mud with our little boys. Or why dads, sometimes you might end up with some makeup on your face and nail polish on your nails because you want to engage in those activities and to enter into fun and engagement with your kids because in this phase, it's where they're discovering things about themselves and the world and you want to be there for it. You want to be there for it. When you engage with your kids in really intentional ways, you begin to develop trust. You develop rapport. This is a phase where we develop a chance to speak into their lives. If a kid is engaged, they'll trust you. And it's in those moments that the deep questions can happen because kids have no awareness of context or the reality of the question that they're posing as being a deep theological one. You're like, you're playing with Legos or you're playing with dolls and all of a sudden they throw something out like, what happened to great grandpa after he died? You're like, oh, we're gonna answer that, okay. And it's in those moments that you have an opportunity to speak into their lives to lay a framework that helps them to make sense of the world and it invites God to be a part of it. I kind of had an example of this from last Sunday and it didn't come about as my, in my role as a mom. It came because Rebecca and Tony bring their four-year-old son Karsten to church on Sundays and he often comes early in the mornings with them to worship practice and over the last four years of his life, they have allowed me to be part of it by paving a way for me to talk with him, to hang out with him, to play silly games, ask him silly questions, and just kind of be there and be a part of his life. And so last Sunday, we were hanging out after church, and I noticed that he was really intrigued by the baptism tank that was set up over here. And so we kind of checked it out and put our hands in the water, and then inevitably he asked, why is this here? And I had this really cool chance to have a small conversation that hopefully was a building block for other stuff that'll come along in his life. And I got to tell him that when someone decides that they really love Jesus and they want to be like him, they climb up those steps and into the water and they go in under the water. And when they come out of the water, we all cheer for them. And I told him the story of how I got to see his mom do that and how I got to see his dad do that. And that maybe someday he would want to decide to do that. And if he did, I was really hoping that I would get to be there. And I'm getting choked up about it. And I told him, and I would cheer really loud. And I'd probably cry just a little bit because it would be so, so special to me. And he just kind of looked at me like, oh, okay. <laughs> and he ran off and did something else. Okay, so obviously he does not know everything he needs to know about baptism. And that wasn't the goal. But he asked and I got to be a part of talking to him about Jesus and what it means to love God. And it was really cool for me. And there are so many of you that know what I'm talking about because you've had those moments in parenting or when you've hung out with nieces and nephews or with your grandkids or as you babysat or if you've served here in our kids' church programs. And it's really cool that when we're mindful about engaging with kids, we get to... They just went away. <laughs> we get to model the way of Jesus. Um, and even at times, we get to share about it when it inevitably comes up because kids are trying to make sense of the world. And we have this chance to point them to Jesus. So in the engaged phase, we're focused on living life with them and bringing out the best in them. But it's also important that we help them see that there's a bigger world out there that while they're vital and they are important and they are a cherished part of that world, it is not good for them to be the center of it. They need to learn how to think of someone other than themselves. They need ideas and conversations about how to love and serve other people because as it turns out, that's a really big deal to God. 
So one day the religious leaders came to Jesus and, and they asked him, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And here's what he said, love God and love other people. That's the recipe for the good life. It's not about how smart and successful they are in school. It's not about how skilled they are in their athletics. It's not about having a ton of friends or just being generally well-rounded and happy and successful. I'm not saying those aren't important things. Those things are, and they have their place. It's just that they're not the main thing. The key to their very best future and their best life is how well they learn to love God, to love other people, and to trust Jesus with their future. And so how do we partner with parents in this phase? Parents, I want to encourage you to continue to bring your kids to Kids Church. This is a place where they get to learn about God at their developmental level, and it's really fun. And they get to see a lot of different adults who also love Jesus, which is really cool. Another thing that you can do is intentionally spend time with other adults and families that follow Jesus. What other trusted adults are you inviting into your kids' lives? Because that's a really important building block for the next phase that they'll enter into. I also want to share a resource with you that's part of this Think Orange curriculum that we use here in all of our programming for kids, and that is um, school age through a senior in high school. And it's called ParentQ, and it's an app that's designed for parents of newborns through seniors in high school. So it's a resource for every parent at Brookview. And if you're a grandparent, I also encourage you to download that thing. Um, each week, the app gives you cues or conversation starters to help you connect with the heart of your child. Each cue is strategically designed for the age of your child. You put in your child's age. What's kind of um, alarming about it is when you put your child's age in, the app will show how many days they have left in your home. It's like, whoa, countdown is on. Really? That's how many days I have left. It's like, whoa, okay, let's get intentional. It kind of opens up your eyes a bit to that. But each cue is, is designed for the age of your child, and it also provides links to the weekly devotionals and handouts and things that we do on Sunday mornings at Kids Church. So you have quick and easy access to what we're doing so that you can partner what's happening at church, where the light is being shown, and you bring that and live that out in the home. It encourages you to use the regular rhythms that most families have, like driving in the car, mealtime, and bedtime to intentionally connect with them and invest in their lives. And I will say, as an aside, if you don't already have a regular rhythm for connecting with your kids, do everything that you know to do to establish it. If you establish the rhythm, that app will help you with those intentional connection pieces. So I want to encourage you to check it out and use it. The information for the website is also on the bottom of that handout, and the app is in the App Store. All right, here's a need that we have. We have a need for a few more Kids Church volunteers next door. Um, we've had seven volunteers need to step away from serving in this ministry, and so we just need a few more adults or high school students who are willing to invest in kids on Sunday mornings about once every six to eight weeks. And the curriculum that we have is awesome. You don't have to be a theological expert or a kid whisperer. Um, they watch a video and you just like really get to play with them and connect with them. And there's a guide that walks you through everything that you need. I promise it's really easy. There are really fun activities to engage in it it kind of makes you look like a rock star. And like, who doesn't need a little ego boost? Am I right, Bob? Yeah, you were there last Sunday, you know. <laughs> All right, we're on to phase, phase three, which is middle schoolers. And the goal in this phase is affirm. All right, if you are a middle school schooler here this morning, raise your hand if that's you. Do it bravely, I see you. Who else, middle schoolers? Micah, is that you? Mm -hmm. You didn't dare raise your hand. You don't want to be seen as a middle school student. Um, okay, 
If you are here this morning, I'm talking right here to you guys, uh, I want you to play, pay close attention to this one because in the car ride home today, I want you to tell your parents what you thought was true about what I'm going to say and even things that you don't agree with, all right? So the things that young people experts have to say about middle schoolers are pretty general, and I know that every child is unique, and these things might not be true of you, so make sure you tell your parents everything that they need to know about you. You have homework. That is your homework from church today. You're like, darn it, this is usually our homework-free day. Nope, not today, Jen's here. All right, here's what they say about middle schoolers. All right, this isn't me. Two of the biggest questions that students have in this phase is, who do I like? Who are my friends? And then the second is, who am I? Who am I? This is a phase where they're beginning to answer identity questions. And they are the driving force behind many of the things that they do. Middle schoolers, because of these two questions, um, because those two questions consume a lot of their thoughts, whether they realize it or not, they have a very unique and interesting blend of confidence because you're figuring some stuff out. And then right behind that confidence comes a lot of insecurity because the truth is from this point forward in your life, those two questions don't really ever go away. You just get better at answering them. And you realize that there are some other important things in life to be thinking about all the time. In the middle school phase, kids are thinking like engineers. Here's what an engineer does. They design, they evaluate, they develop, they test, they modify, they inspect, and they maintain things. So it would be pretty natural in this phase for kids to challenge authority a little bit, to test a little, to begin to have a lot of questions about life and faith and how it all works and kind of push back on ideas that they used to have no trouble blindly accepting in previous stages of their development. And so at this point in their life, as parents, as grandparents, aunts, uncles, and church, it is really important to be present in their lives, to offer emotional support and encouragement, because the middle school phase is where we want to focus on affirming their personal journey. I feel like so many people have this notion of, oh, middle schoolers. They're weird, and they do weird things, and I don't know how to relate to them because it's just awkward, and they're awkward. And what I would say to that is if you think about all that's going on developmentally at this stage and all the questions that are spinning around for them and how they're shifting out of adolescence and trying to figure out, who am I? Does anybody like me? That is the last thing they need to be feeling and hearing from us. It's not helpful at all to be treating them like they're weird because they're not. They're not weird. They're just in transition. So affirmation is really big at this stage. And affirmation doesn't mean we just say, oh, okay, whatever you think, that's true, it's true. Whatever you feel, that is what we're going with today. It just means that in this phase, you wanna come alongside of students and help them to sort through their world, try to see things through their eyes, get to the heart of what's going on. And from a spiritual side of things, it's important to help them with their personal journey toward owning their own faith and help them to value and find belonging in their faith community and their middle school-aged friends here at Brookview. Because middle school can be intense. It can be awkward. It can be a really confusing time. But it's through these years that more than any other point in their life, our kids need us to lead them, to influence them, and to encourage and support them and lean in instead of pulling away. So how are we partnering with parents in this phase? In this phase, keep coming to church, keep bringing them to church with you. They're starting to get old enough to understand much of the stuff that we talk about on Sundays. And it's really cool for you to all be learning together as a family and connected in community on Sundays. And it's a great time to invest in your kids to serve in places where you're serving at church. They are always welcome. They are always invited to be with you, helping you as you serve here at Brookview. I want to reiterate something that I pointed out in the last phase that's also really vital in this one. 
as your kids' schedules get fuller and more complicated, you will need to fight hard to create intentional rhythms where you connect relationally with your kids. And again, you can use the Parent Q app as a launching point for those conversations when you are together. Um, there are links to the videos that they watch at their Thursday youth group, and you don't have to be a part of the youth group to explore those videos and see what's going on over there. Um, and then the, the conversational cues are written to enhance what they're already talking about in group and, and go along with those videos. And then that leads me to let you know if you don't already know, we have a middle school group here at church every Thursday night from 6.30 to 8 p.m. And this is, this is a place where we have a team of eight different volunteers on different nights who are strategic about connecting with kids and affirming them and to help them make their faith their own and to value them, to value having a church community to belong to as they're sitting alongside their friends. And we have an amazing team of volunteers and they have a lot of fun. And if you would ever like to serve on the middle school team, we would absolutely love to have you. All right, last phase. Last phase is phase four, high school. High school, high school, getting ready for launch, okay? I want you to think back to your own high school years or the years that you spent parenting or connecting with a high schooler. What would you say is the thing they most value? What's the thing they most want or desire in their lives? Don't look at the phase chart to answer it. Just tell me what you think. What do you think is the thing that they most value in this phase? Shout some things out. Friends. Space, freedom, their phone, yeah. Freedom, money, money. Appearances, yeah, yeah. Trusted, yes, oh, that's good. Um, girls, yeah, and boys, girls and boys. Those are good ones, you guys. And they are all likely really important things, but, but a few of you nailed it there. Um, this phase is all about independence and freedom. And I like to call this phase of life the freedom fighters, okay? And there's so many great and yet complicated things about this stage of life. All right, high schoolers, where are you at? Uh-huh, oh, so this is the student section. <laughs> um, if you wanna be younger, stay on this side of the church. Uh, I want you to do the same thing that I asked middle schoolers. Listen to what I'm about to say about what psychologists and kid experts say about you, and then tell your parents what you think and how life actually works for you. Um, during this phase, a high schooler's primary value is that independence and freedom. They wanna be independent of you. Okay, not because you're a terrible person, or not because they don't love you, or not because you're a bad parent. It's not because they're evil or rebellious, even though sometimes they can do some of those things in their quest for independence. But this freedom phase is a natural progression of their lives, and it's actually really good if we can figure out how to channel it and embrace it well. Many of you know I'm the parent of two adult kids and a newly 16-year-old who just got her driver's license. And so this concept is not just something that I've lived through and I'm on the other side of, I'm actually currently smack dab in the middle of it. So this is the phase that Jason and I are in with our daughter, Brooklyn. In this phase, young people begin to think like a philosopher. Okay, the other one was an engineer, this is a philosopher. And here's a quick definition of philosophy. The term means love of wisdom. Philosophy is an activity people undertake when they seek to understand fundamental truths about themselves, the world in which they live, and their relationship to the world and to each other. So as your young adult begins to make sense of themselves and the world around them, it's natural for them to think they know everything. Okay, they're learning and discovering a lot of things and, and they're actually beginning to know a lot more and pretty rapidly than they ever did before at any other phase of their life. And all that work that you did in phase one, two, and three, it's leading to somewhere. We're mobilizing them to launch into adulthood. And they're in the mobilized phase and it is in this part of their lives, it's really important for them to actually be independent. Not just want to be independent, but actually be independent. And so I would ask, are there some things you need to stop doing for them? Are their grades your responsibility? Or are they their responsibility? 
Is getting them to school on time every day your job? Or is it their job? How are they doing at managing their lives and growing in their independence? How are you setting them free? Now, you're still in the game. You're not like, well, I guess it's just like anarchy and Lord of the Flies around here at my house and there's just nothing I can do. No, no, no. You are still a coach in this. Their independence is good and it needs to be nurtured because as much as they are ready for independence, they are not ready for complete independence yet. Can I get an amen? Yeah, and you need to be there to help them through that. They need support and guidance in your wisdom as they begin to grow in their own wisdom. You still have such an important role to play in their lives. All right, here's something I've noticed about this phase, and it even happens with adult children and their parents. As I've worked with students and parents and raised a son, I've noticed that this need for freedom, Cam, do you hear me on this one? And independence is more intense with boys. Mm -hmm. It's more intense with boys. And it can often strain a mother and a son relationship. If a mom is still back in phase one, trying to provide love and safety, your son is working on becoming an independent man. And he doesn't want large expressions of love and daily concerns over his safety. Okay, don't bring tissues to blow his nose and leave the juice boxes for the soccer match in the car. You'll likely need to scale back on all the caregiving love sorts of things that you're compelled to do because you're their mommy. Because there's potential that you'll drive them away with that stuff and you won't have the relationship that you're hoping for because your role now is to mobilize them. You're beginning to lay a foundation for their launch into full-on adulting. It's like this free, freeway ramp, that's a tongue twister, a freeway ramp. <laughs> and you start slow in their middle school years. And by the time they're wrapping up their senior year of high school, they're pretty competently traveling on I-5 at 60 miles an hour. If it's a boy, probably 70 miles per hour. Um, and what you don't want is to not allow any freedom and micromanage them and sort out their lives and their schedules and their delay their development in learning how to make their own wise decisions and figuring out how to na navigate life. Because if you do that, then on the day that they head off to college or whatever is next for them, you will have to plop them right in the middle of that busy highway and say, good luck. I will call you every night to make sure that you're safe and that you feel loved. That's not a good idea. We aren't helping them. So in this phase that will eventually end in launching them to their own lives outside of your home, our work as parents and our work as a community is to figure out how do I come alongside of them to affirm, to encourage the great things that we see in them and to celebrate the ways that they're already walking in wisdom and then adding in your help when it makes sense. Ultimately, you're coaching them in how to arrive at good choices and good decisions on their own and for themselves. High school is an intense time where our kids are answering questions like, where do I belong? Why should I believe in God? How can I matter? What will I do with my life? And our role is to coach and to mobilize them for their next phase, which is adulting. And is that freaking you out a little bit? It is me. I, I love my babies. Um, but I'm also so proud of the adults that they are and the adult that Brooklyn will be. All right. What are we doing at Brookview to partner with parents and show up for students? Students, you have your own life group that meets on Monday nights here at the church from 7 to 9 p.m. And parents, as part of their night, we are committed to training them in how to participate in conversations and the flow of conversation, to share ideas, to think critically, to philosophize with trusted adults in the room. And if you're interested in being one of those trusted adults, we really need at least one more male leader to join our volunteer team. Um, I will say that for middle school and high school volunteer leaders, you'd be serving about once a month on that team. Um, another thing, we want our young people to be serving in ministry and to explore what it means to be part of a church community. So high schoolers, we want to work 
alongside of you to do what we do here at Brookview, to figure out how to live love in our relationship with God and community with each other and toward the world around us. And we already have so many of you doing this, but we'd love to have you serve in ministries. We want your help investing in kids in Kids Church. We want you running the video cameras and helping mow the lawn or even participating in helping with worship. We love having you serve at Soccer Club. But here's the deal. We expect you to behave like responsible, independent, grown-up-esque people. Um, when you do show up for things, because they matter, like, I'm not going to give you stupid, meaningless jobs. I want to give you something that we actually need you to do. And so you have to be able to show up when you're scheduled. You have to be able to answer emails on your own and RSVP to team meetings and all that good stuff that we can train you and equip you to do. And we know that you're capable of doing it because you do it already everywhere. Like, we see you doing it already. And we love it. And we need you because you are such an important part of our church family and what we do around here. And then again, pointing you to the Parent Q app. And I'll say this again, parents, fight for intentional time with your kids. Figure out some way to have regular rhythms and strategic touch points where you can connect with them and it isn't super rushed, okay? Jason and I are definitely having to be creative in this season. Since Brooklyn is 16 and she's driving herself places, we don't have car rides to connect anymore. So we're having to figure out ways for our lives to, to intentionally collide in repetitious ways. And for us in this season, it means dinner times together almost every night of the week. Um, but when we don't, when that won't work for us anymore, we need to fight hard to find something that will because this time is really valuable and I don't want to miss it. To close, I want to go back to where we started in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Again, Moses says this in the context of the entire community, so Brookview. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The word that begins verse 7 is impress. In Hebrew, the word is shana. And shana means to sharpen or engrave. And I love that idea. It's this idea that our role as parents and as the community of God is to be an engraver. Like it's not this broad brush stroke or this one-time conversation that we have. We get to pass on our faith to future generations. Not in the lectures that we give, but in the lives that we live. Because more is caught than taught. I mean, teaching is important. There's definitely a place for it, but there is no substitute forgetting to witness the people of God, loving him well and others well and believing in Jesus for a better future. I believe that every child has a primary voice in their sp spiritual development, and that is the parent. Given the number of hours a parent has in a child's life in comparison to what the church has, a parent is and has to be the primary voice in their kids' spiritual development. We can't just say, ah, I'm not good at that. I don't think I know enough. And then we just sort of outsource it to the church. It doesn't work best that way. So you might need to put yourself in a place where you're learning and you're growing in your faith so that you can lead your kids into a spot where they say, God is good and he wants good things for me. And my picture of what a good life is comes from him because I've seen that lived out. And then the last thing, we as a church, we get to partner with parents to make a difference in kids' lives. It's the whole think orange thing. Our job is to partner with parents at every phase of a child's life, from when they're first born all the way through, to help and to give resources so that you can lead them towards what's most important. And so I just want to say, if you're doing the at-home stuff, that is so good. Keep doing it. 
But if that's all you're doing, I would also want to challenge you a bit and say, you're missing part of the equation. Or if you're in a spot where you're bringing your kids to church or youth group and, and that's their main source of spiritual development and conversation, you're also missing part of the equation. To be the most powerful and the most effective, both need to happen. And we want to alo walk alongside of you, kids, students, parents. I care about you. Kiddos, we are your village. You and your family, they matter to me. And I hope that you always feel that from me. Let's pray. Man, God, would you give us wisdom as we figure out how to walk alongside of our kids? God, would you um, encourage parents that are sitting here this morning I know for me there are parts of my parenting journey that I just kind of wish I could do over or I feel like I failed at or I should have done a better job with. But I pray that you would point us um, towards your grace, that you would pour that out on us and remind us that you love our kids even more than we do and you'll help us and you want to use us and we want to be used by you. And God, for our volunteers at Brookview who are serving and investing in student ministries, would you give them renewed passion and vision and energy for what they're doing? Would you give them a glimpse into the difference that they're making in kids' lives and give them your eyes to see the way that you do? I pray for everyone here who is engaged with kids outside of formal ministries, and I pray, God, that you would use them in a powerful way as teachers, as parents, as grandparents, as aunts, uncles, and friends to point kids to you God, to show your beautiful story of love and grace and goodness, would you equip them, God? God, we know that kids really matter to you, and you want to use us in their lives. Would you help us? Would you guide us? Would you give us wisdom and ideas and patience and perseverance and, and help us to show up in big and small ways?